this is Splice. Hey, Kirsten. Our guest of honor. Hello. Yay. I like your avatar. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit. It's a new pit crew thing that somebody made. You customize your cat. You can customize your cat. Hmm. Cat. Cat <laughs> I gotta try this. <laughs> First step one: get a cat. <laughs> uh, good morning as well to Karen Vera and uh, to the birthday girl Janie. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! Thank you. Happy birthday to Happy. you. <laughs> we can sing all together. Thank you, everyone. It's a, it feels like a week-long birthday um, with all our um, restrictions and like meeting other people. So I'm still like celebrating. <laughs> Thank you. It's the festival of Janie. <laughs> the festival of Janie. I like that. All right. Good morning, everybody. It's June 11th, 2021. I've kind of lost track of the very long year we've had already. Uh, today, we've got Kirsten Han talking to us on Spice Lo-Fi. But if you've just joined us for the first time, just a quick note to say that we're recording this. And this will be made publicly available on our website for those of you who can't join us live today. We obviously want uh, you all to speak openly about stuff but if you want to be taken off the record let us know we'll edit you out and post otherwise this recording will go out on the internet uh right after this this uh this recording is done put yourself on mute if you're not speaking and remember to unmute yourself when you speak remember this is of course a conversation so so <laughs> we want to hear from you so i'm going to jump to our our uh person of the minute and i'm going to embark on a lengthy unnecessary introduction uh, because everybody knows Kirsten Hahn. She writes the We the Citizens newsletter. And we're excited uh, because last week she uh, uh, said she was offering journalists um, or anybody who had an interest in writing, she was offering a mini mentorship program in the, in the form of support and advice around story ideas and pitches and editing. So Kirsten, uh, we're hoping you'll tell us all about the, the program. Um, the reason Alan and I were excited about this because is because this is what paying it forward looks like in this community. Kirsten, are you swamped with applications? Um, why do you call it Kaya Toast? I, I currently, uh, I have about, I think, 18, uh, 18 real applications. I had one troll one, but everyone else has been really kind of earnest about it. So I have about 18 at the moment. Um, Mo about half of whom are in the 18 to 24 age range. The youngest was 16 now. Uh, and yeah, it's been quite a lot of really good ideas that's going around. And I just kind of thought that it would be important to open it up to people who aren't journalists and who don't have journalism training because you know all these perspectives and experiences don't just come from people who write for a living or even want to write for a living, right? I want to give platform to people who wouldn't otherwise think of writing for themselves or, or getting published. Um, the reason it's called Gaiatos, well, there isn't really a reason. So I I call the subscribers of my newsletter Myloping Funders because when I first started running this newsletter and when I first started paying uh, turning on the paid subscription option, um, I hadn't actually thought of depending on the newsletter for income. I just thought of it as a tipping thing. So I named it Myloping Funders in the way like if you want to buy me a Myloping 
for the work that I do, then you can do that. And then I ended up actually um, working on the newsletter more. And so that's kind of grown. And then I was trying to find a way to kind of keep within the theme. So I thought kayakos is like a, like a breakfast thing that you also can eat with your Milo thing. So that's, I, that's I no eat that all reason. the time for no good yeah. reason. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, before we, we get you know down down the road of talking about how it all works um mm. you know I, i'm i've got your website in front of me and it says you know i'll work with you on a story idea that that you've pitched to produce a reported feature or essay i'm happy to talk guide you through the process of writing and go through rounds of editing bracket within reason uh with you once you have a draft i i think this is great um have you i mean where where does this stem from? Is this from your experience uh, editing new narrative, and and you've seen this to be a gap that that needs help with? Yeah, a little bit. So um, with new narrative, we had uh, kind of drafts that came in that were sometimes very rough. Uh, sometimes you could tell that 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 particular writer wasn't really familiar with this sort of reported feature format that we wanted, or that or that um, English language publications favor. So we, at New Narrative, we had a, a, there was a little bit of a different angle because we were also regional. So we were also getting um, submissions from from different countries like Indonesia, um, Thailand, where you could tell that English wasn't their first language and they might be more used to writing features or articles in, in native languages where the structure and the flow of an article is very different from what an English language publication would want. So we had to work with them on that. So that it, it's a bit similar to, to what I'm envisioning now. Um, but even at New Narrative, we kind of had to, we still had to restrict ourselves to people who at least had some journalism or writing experience or could show us that they, they could write because we didn't really have the time. We still needed to keep, things ticking over. So we didn't have the time to like teach you from scratch, right? But I thought for for this newsletter, because it's just me and I don't have as many like publishing schedule kind of pressures as, as I had at New Narrative, then it's an opportunity to say, okay, I can, it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. We are not trying to hit a deadline here. We're not trying to break news. Um, I have time to go over these things slowly. You know, um, it's interesting what you're saying, uh, uh, Kirsten, because from working in a newsroom for a few, you know, several newsrooms over the uh, over a few years myself, uh, not as a journalist though, I've discovered that some of the best journalists I've ever worked or, or ever read are not necessarily the best writers, um, and I think that's fine. Um, I'm curious also that you know because this is the the, the problem you're trying to solve in helping folks with their writing skills, you would obviously have uh, different approaches to whether you're working with a journalist or whether you're working with a writer who doesn't do journalism, right? How would you approach those yeah. separately? Uh, I think for, for this one, I am thinking that I would just kind of take them through this sort of general style. So I, I offer two options they could do like a reported feature that you know they have more they go out and do more interviews it's more reporting style um and i've also offered like a sort of essay 
commentary sort if they want to do just like first person essay and talk about their own experiences and so the main point is to create space for perspectives experiences and communities that might not otherwise get media coverage so i've offered both that seems to be a quite a split down the middle what people want to do i mean a lot of people i guess gravitate to that essay because if they're not thinking in that sort of journalism frame the essay seems more in intuitive and instinctive to them about writing something that's very personal to them so i think for me the the goal is not how can i get someone to conform to journalism structures standards and formulas and how but it's more about how can we produce a piece of work that flows very coherently for people to read i think the thing about being able to do this on my own newsletter and it's something that i found useful as well is that with a newsletter you can write in a more conversational kind of like you're just writing an email it just happens that this email goes out to a lot of people um and so that allows different sorts of formats and mediums you can embed gifs if you want you can do it with headings you can do it without you can write in that first person conversational tone these are all sorts of things that you know, I would not have got past an editor at a formal publication. And I think that makes it also more accessible to non-journalists to write. You don't have to, you know, do your inverted pyramid article with the lead on top. You don't need to actually know necessarily what a nut graph is. Um, it's about how to get your voice across. Yeah, I think this is often a, a huge challenge, right? I like, I like that you're calling it out. I think, you know, across a region like this, you you often come across a lot of great writers who just don't happen to write it in a in a structure that that you know that we're familiar with, right? In English language journalism uh, specifically. So, how would you then look at at and, and assess you know uh, um, someone's ability to uh, to be molded basically by by you? Um, I think as long as people are willing to put in the work, it's possible because it's not necessarily wanting to mold them but if they have a very good story and a good idea then it's just how can I help you to effectively kind of communicate that in a piece without you know significantly altering your voice because one thing that I learned one challenge I had when I, I first started editing other people's work was there was a sort of um, tendency or a sort of habit of going Oh, that's not how I would write it. And then I would start to actually rewrite people's work because of just like, I'm so used to doing it my own way that I would just start to like go over people's work. And then I would like swap the swap the clauses around in a sentence. And then it got to the point where I was like, why am I doing this such at such granular level of editing that I'm essentially rewriting and imposing my voice on other people's writing? Um, and imposing my choices over other people's choices. So I've had to learn to not do that. And so I hope that with this, you know, it's it's not like we are trying to produce Pulitzer level long form journalism in a very narrative style. It's it's basically how can I help you communicate this voice and this story in an authentic way. So at the moment, if you look at the application form, I I ask if people have writing experience, but I don't ask for writing samples because it, it, I don't think it matters. So the only thing I'm looking at is the idea first. And if your idea is good, there must be some way that we can work it out. Like if you could communicate the idea to me in an email, then we can we can expand on that so that you can communicate it to like 
2,000 other people in an email. Yeah, this is interesting because very often, you know, as you know, we get we get um, uh, stories written up uh, for Splice, and very often I would, you know, I would ask for story samples, right, um, uh, links and and whatnot. And the challenge there is that you can never tell whether that is, you know, the work of of a really great editor or a really great writer. Yeah. Do you see that as well? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we had that at new, at New Narrative. Um, where you know, looking at the story samples, everything seems fine, and then the draft comes in, and you go, "Ah, it was the editor." <laughs> yeah, so so definitely, I think that happens. Um, but for this one, I think because uh, I'm offering to work from the beginning, so it's not like I'm saying, "Okay, I've picked you. Don't come back until you've the draft." Um, I think there's an avenue for me to to really to support from the very beginning. So um, like, you know, I can take them through. So actually there was one application that I saw and it was such a timely piece that they was they were kind of proposing that I actually took that application out of the process. And I said, regardless of who I choose in this mini mentorship, let's do yours now. Because it was such a timely um, pitch about racism and identity and being a naturalized Singaporean whose family moved from India um, at, at a time where there's this kind of anti-Indian racism and anti-immigrant xenophobia. So I said, you know, let's just start doing it now. Um, and it was really as simple as, okay, um, if you don't know how to start writing a draft, why don't you just think about all the things that you really like to tell people um, about your life and your identity and your experience and just write it in bullet points and then send it to me first. And then we can start to see like, look, if you have all these things that you want to say, this is how we can structure it in a way that it flows. And if you want to go and interview other people as well, then, you know, when you have this point form outline, it will help you kind of conceptualize the sort of voices that you want, that the people that you want to reach out to. And also when you reach out to them, what questions you want to ask them. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, listen, I want to also uh, talk to you about the structure of this. Uh, I feel like you're being apologetic when you call it a mini mentorship. I have a funny feeling this is good. <laughs> you're going to drop the mini pretty quick if uh, this this becomes a thing. Are people going to pay you to mentor them? How do, how does it work? Can I sign? Can I apply? And do I do I pay you? I mean, I would pay. You know me. Yeah, I mean, it's, so this is the very first time I'm doing it. So I imagine that after I learned from this, that it would, it would probably evolve. But at the moment, how it works is um, anybody can apply. Um, but in selection, apart from this, the idea, the story idea and the perspective, I also prioritize um, communities or uh, people who might not otherwise get published or marginalized communities. Um, but actually, I find that that's very linked. So the marginalized communities and then the ideas that they want to write about are actually, they actually overlap. Um, so I, I end up really just looking at the sort of ideas that people send in. Uh, and, the, I, and then if you're selected, then I'll help you through writing it. Um, once the final piece is produced, 
can choose to publish it via the newsletter. And if I do publish it via the newsletter, then um, that person gets the same honorarium that I give to everybody who, who guest writes, which is $200, which I hope to eventually increase. Um, if I don't choose to publish it, they're free to take anywhere else. Uh, and I'm happy to like give tips if they want to try pitching to like a magazine or to, a, to another newsletter or something else. Um, or I'm, you know, I assume that, you know, some of them might have their own blogs or some of them might volunteer for NGOs that they want to publish on the NGO website as well. Or some just wanted to learn and maybe they want to keep that piece to themselves. And, and so I, I haven't put any criteria on, you know, what you must do with it once you're finished. So you only get paid if I publish it. But if I don't publish it, then no money exchanges hands anywhere. You can treat it as like, I've just taught you for free. Um, because I didn't want to charge for the mentorship. Because if my main goal was to create space for marginalized communities, and um, then I'm assuming that there might be a lot of people, I don't want to exclude the people who would never be able to pay for anything like this. So it's also for people who can't afford to, you know, go to a tuition center and take writing classes or pay, pay for one of those Straits Times letter writing workshops. You know, they're very expensive. It's, it's hilarious you brought that up about the Straits Times. <laughs> it's so expensive. I wouldn't be full of either. That's right. Let's let's not go there. <laughs> but you know, um, uh, in in this audio room right now, we've got two very um, excellent editors that that I that I respect, Karen Vera and Peter Guest. Uh, I know Karen's got a question for you. So Karen, why don't you jump in? There, there's a Straits Times letter writing course. No, that's not the question. Um, <laughs> the question, hi Kristen, it's always great to see you be so active in the Spice community. And I wanted to ask, you know, like, you know, I, I totally relate to all your stories about, you know, seeing a piece of copy, raw copy, and realizing there's a long road ahead of that piece of copy to get to publishing. And so my question is, you know, why do even some very experienced writers have always seem to um, don't know how to write with voice, if if I can put it that way. I mean, what if they have experience, they've gone through some education, yet when you see raw copy, it's lacking some kind of fundamental voice to share the narrative. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm not really sure why. Um, sometimes when I see copy, I wonder if sometimes writers do write with a, oh, I can leave it to the editor. <laughs> um, and in the same way that like when I used to like go to film school and stuff, we used to joke about how a really bad habit is let's fix it in post. Um, and sometimes I wonder if there is um, habit as well when when writing because you know, you're not entirely sure how to do it. It would just be like, oh, we'll just send it to the editor. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like I think it varies. Um, because in my experience as well at New Narrative, we edited a lot of um, experienced writers who weren't writing in English as a first language. So sometimes you could kind of tell that the issue was was language and also like cultural writing styles. Because, um, like for example, I would look at an Indonesian writer's feature in English, and it just kind of doesn't seem to 
to make sense to me in, in a structural flow. And then our Indonesian editor would say, yes, but if you, if you imagine that this was written in Bahasa Indonesia, it fits that, that style of Indonesian journalism in Indonesian. So, so we had a lot of that. So that was a lot of my experience. Um, some of it, some of the other ones might have been, um, you can kind of tell a little bit sometimes if a journalist is not familiar with the community that they are writing about, because then there's a bit of that, you know, they're either making things sound too generalized or it's too vague, because actually they don't really, they're not very familiar with this community. And they've just interviewed like maybe three people and then they're trying to communicate that as an extrapolation of what this community feels. And I think that that affects that as well. Hey, listen, we're taking questions. Um, so if you have them, jump in now. If you don't jump in, I'm going to just keep talking and keep asking questions because I have a lot. Now is your chance. Actually, I am having a question uh, uh, regarding community stories or any stories. If uh, I can able to write in my own my, my mother tongue, uh, but if I want to uh, bring this story out in the global language uh, globally, uh, then I need to be in English. English is uh, uh, my English is like kind of a uh, normal English, uh, which is able to communicate easily, uh, not. Uh, like a editorial type of english what what should i do do for bring out these kind of stories better to give to others those who write well or better to train train myself for writing a very good article in english also yeah so we had that issue when i was working at new narrative a lot um and that's why our approach when i was at new narrative was to to use translators so we would allow people to file in their native language and then get a translator to translate the article and then we would actually do this really convoluted simultaneous editing in two languages because then i would edit the english and then the comments that i left had to be translated back and then the the writer would then respond to those comments in their language and then had to be translated back so it was very convoluted um i think in the end that was probably the best way to go about it um for us but that becomes very slow and it also becomes expensive because you're also you're now not paying just the editor and the writer you're also paying the translator in the middle right and and it's not like a necessarily just a one-off translation you're paying for for different um work that they have to do um we managed we were lucky that we we had managed to hire editors who are bilingual so that kind of helped ease the thing but um the other the other kind of way of working i saw um that made sense to me was how um journalists in cambodian uh, English language publications works. And I hadn't known about that until I started with New Narrative, but then when I saw how it worked, it, it was quite encouraging that that there would be a local journalist and, and a foreign journalist who is more fluent in English who would pair. So we, we always got pictures from them as pairs. So there would be one foreign journalist and one local journalist, and then they split the work in that. The local journalist 
knows the ground, speaks the language, um, can go to a village and just speak to anybody and communicate fine. Uh, but the, the foreign journalists, where, where they shine is they know how the English feature structure works. They can deal with language, they can deal. So, so I think it's quite a good sort of tag team system. Um, if you can find somebody who would, who would team up with you, that's a good start. Kirsten, one thing I wanted to ask you was, have you, have you been, like, have you benefited from good mentorship yourself? Is this, is this something that you've seen templated or modeled for yourself uh, before? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't go to journalism school. Like, I had, like, one sort of very brief kind of communications module. Uh, in when I was doing my undergrad, but I never actually went to journalism school. And um, the first time I started writing anything remotely journalistic is um, when I started volunteering with the online citizen, which in 2010 was had a lot more volunteers and did a lot more original reporting than it does now. Um, and the very first article they sent me to do was to cover a court case. And I'd never been in court. I'd never heard like lawyers speak in a court. And I'd never written a journalistic article. And I didn't know what I was doing. And it was an absolute mess. And the editor of The Online Citizen at the time had to like chop everything up and overhaul it. Um, and he sent it back to let me have a look. Um, so it wasn't like a, it wasn't a structured a sort of mentorship as I would like to offer now that was really step-by-step step of how you would like to write this. Mine was just like they threw me in the deep end and then I had to like learn and, and so I ended up learning from seeing how other people do it, reading how other people do it, um, following their formula and their structure first and then when I get more confident I will branch out in my own. So I, I learned by doing which is why I think you know it's also possible for, for a lot of people to learn by doing. I think, you know, journalism is definitely something that you could learn by doing. I get, I get students who call me, who, who like message me and then they're always like panicked about, oh, uh, I want to be a journalist, but actually I went to business school or I went to law school or, you know, um, my parents say I have to, to get like some sort of degree in finance instead. Um, is that fine? And I was like, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, I'm I'm one of those parents as well. <laughs> um, so we're we're running up against a clock here. If anyone's got a question, now's a good time to jump in. Um, I've got a quick one. Um, hey, Kirsten. Hi. I'm curious as to how you're going to overcome the barriers of some self-selection at the pitching stage, because pitching is pretty intimidating, and I'd say it's it's got an extrovert, dare I say, Americanized process. Um, so when I make a call for writers in Thailand, like 75% of the pitches I get are white American guys. So how do you make the pitching more inclusive to make it more like, you know, to start attracting some of the people who may not consider pitching normally? Yeah, so for this one, um, I deliberately tried to avoid using as much as possible, tried to avoid using the word pitch because I think it immediately communicates something quite clearly to people who are already in journalism and media, but to people who are not familiar with journalism and media, it doesn't explain anything. Like what is a pitch? What goes into a pitch? It doesn't 
tell you anything about what you should do. So I, I just framed it as, well, it's an application, like an application to any workshop or scholarship or program that you might do, an application to like a school or, or whatever. So I just called it that. And then I had a Google form that, that instead of saying, what is your pitch? Uh, my questions were, what's the issue that you want to talk about? Um, what is interesting about this issue to people? Why do you think you should be the one to write it? Um, and then they answer those three questions and I go from there. So I've got some pitches that are really interesting. You know, we've got pitches that have, that want to talk about um, the emotional impact of having to do sex work because people always talk about the sex, but they don't talk about the fact that some sex workers really do it for money and then that there's an emotional impact of having to be with people that you don't necessarily actually want to be with in very intimate settings. Um, so there's that sort of pitch. There are pitches about, you know, experiences of adoption, pitches about being a minority in race and religion in Singapore. Actually, I would say that the majority of all the applications I've received so far are from ethnic minorities. And I think that's a reflection of how much there's been a kind of gap for their voices. Um, and so it goes from there. There are some pitches where, well, okay, we, we're now we're calling them pitches, but actually some applications where it's still a bit too vague, like things like, oh, I want to talk about education, but actually we need a little bit more. So I think for those, I would probably email them back and explain and then ask them to try again the next time. You know, I realize that we're running up uh, tight against, this might be the longest we've done yet, Alan. Uh, so yes, listen, um, we're going to have to wrap. Uh, Kirsten, thank you so much for, for talking us through this. I really, I had, I had many more questions about, you know, what you're going to do after this. We'd love to know how you're doing. Please keep in touch and tell us how it's going. Uh, I like to think of this mentorship program as an ongoing thing. I think you'd be an amazing mentor. Uh, thank you thanks so much for sharing this. Yeah, I think it's been it's been interesting as well because after so on the flip side of the applications, I had friends who then emailed me to say that because you launched this, then I transitioned from a free to paid subscriber. I also had a friend who just randomly sent me two hundred dollars and she said just use it to pay whichever person you choose. And then I had a, another person who messaged me and said, I'll sponsor five of these. So I think on, on the flip side, it's encouraging other people to support as well. Fantastic. So if any of you want to support what Kirsten is doing, uh, you can find more information about this, this mini mentorship. Uh, you know, as Rashad said, uh, it's probably not going to stay mini for very long at the rate you're going, Kirsten. Uh, <laughs> anyone who wants to help, uh, go to www.wethecitizens.net and you'll get more information about that and a chance to, uh, to, to catch up with, with Kirsten as well. Thank you, Kirsten. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for your time this Friday. Have a great weekend. Thanks, people. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Kirsten. Thank Bye. you. Okay, bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, folks. This is Splice.